coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. My name is Sebastian, and I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, Christy. Um, to answer my own question, my favorite color is probably green. Um, that's why I'm wearing this green shirt, kind of green with black. Oh, I didn't even realize. I was going to say, because it's board game thing this Friday, my favorite board game color is black. So my two favorite colors are green and black, and I didn't even mean to wear this shirt, but it worked out for the best. So um, anyways, we're super stoked to have you guys here today. And I just wanted to say welcome to anyone who's new who hasn't been here. Um, we're happy to have you with us. So let's turn to Acts 2.44. Acts 2, 44 to 47. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God, we just thank you for who you are today. We thank you that um, you want to come speak to us, God. We thank you that you're interested in every aspect of our lives and that you, you want to meet with us. And God, I just pray that today um, you'd open our, our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say to us. God, that if there's areas in our lives that we don't want to let you into, that you would begin breaking down those walls and that you would begin bringing change um, to those areas, God. Lord, that our whole lives would be open to you to make, make us what you want us to be. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week, um, like I was saying earlier, uh, most of us were sleeping. Um, I think we had our lowest attendance ever in the first service. Uh, it was me, Pastor Brett, and the worship team, and that was about it. No, there was a few other people, but uh, I understand how, how painful the daylight savings time is. And Pastor Brett uh, last week spoke about friends. So we're doing a series called Friends. We weren't just playing the Friends music during the handshaking time because it's a great song, but it's actually a series called Friends. And um, Pastor Brett was just talking about how Friends is a show that a ton of people love to watch. And the reason that people love to watch it isn't because there's like, you know, Joey who's just this crazy guy or there's Ross who, you know, he's like kind of goofy cute, you know, that's what the ladies are saying. Um, you know, there's all these, these different characters, but the reason that people are drawn to friends is because there's all these different people that are completely different, completely different backgrounds, different life stories, and they all come together in a city, and they all live in, in proximity to each other, and they create their own sort of family, even though they have different backgrounds, different interests, different hobbies, different work. And it, it's not those things that bring them together, but it was their longing to be part of a family. And a family doesn't necessarily mean your blood relations, but it means people that support you and love you despite your flaws. And we're all looking for that sort of family. So a few weeks ago, I was listening to this uh, podcast called This American Life, and it's a pretty crazy podcast. This guy just tells stories um, about this American life, um, as the title suggests. And he was telling a story about this, this family, and there was these two families, and 
They both were having babies at the same time. And the two families actually knew each other. One of the families was a pastor and his family, and another family was one of the people in the congregation. So they, they knew each other, and they were both having babies at the same time. And they go to the hospital, they deliver the babies same day, and they take their babies home. And when the pastor's family gets home, they realize that their daughter that they had brought home was not actually their daughter. It was their friend's daughter that they had brought home. So they got switched at birth, you know. Everyone's like greatest fear. Maybe you have a kid and you're like, I don't know if this is actually my kid. That's probably what happened. You accidentally took the wrong kid home. Um, and so they bring these two kids home, or, or they bring their kid home, and the other family brings their kid home. And the pastor's wife realizes this mistake, and she says, hey, like, we took the wrong kid home to her husband. And her husband, for like a whole series of reasons, which you should listen to the podcast because I can't go into his like 40-minute story, um, decides to keep the daughter. He says, this is a pretty good daughter. I'm just going to keep her. Seems pretty insane to me. And I think my jaw was like just hanging down and I was delivering these parcels to people. And they were like, what is this guy listening to? And so they just go along with it. The other family has no idea that this daughter is not their daughter. And so the, the, the wife of the pastor, she's raising this kid. She knows it's not actually her kid. The other family has no idea. And the pastor's wife doesn't tell anyone. For 40 years, she keeps it a secret from everyone. So she raises this daughter. The daughter's 35, has kids. She becomes 40. Both the, daughters be, or both the girls become 40. And finally, when they're 40 years old, the mom sends a letter to the daughter saying, hey, this is actually what happened. You're not actually my daughter. Which, I mean, 40 years old, like, maybe you should have just gone with it at that point. I don't know. Um, just, just die with that one, I think. But, uh, you know, so she sends this letter, and the other family, she also sends a, fa- a letter to the other family, which also kind of seems insane. And, and it's just this crazy story of these two daughters that don't really fit in their families. And the thing that I thought was so, um, so wild about it is that the daughters were exactly like the opposite family. So not just like, you know, if they were good at sports or good at music or whatever. Their personalities, their sense of humor, all of those things were just like the opposite family. Their hair color. It was like one daughter had black hair, the other daughter had blonde hair. And they were like seeing each other at church every week. So it's not like they, you know, yeah, they went to the same church. It was like a small city and the churches were like, it was... Just a crazy story. Anyways, but the thing that that I find so wild is that the family who had no idea about the daughter, that the daughter wasn't theirs, raised the daughter as if it was theirs because it didn't matter what this daughter's interests were. It didn't matter how different her personality was. It didn't matter if she was better at math than the rest of the kids. It didn't, none of those things mattered. They raised them because it was her, it was their daughter. And when they found out that it wasn't their daughter, it didn't matter to them. That was still their family because they had raised that, that girl. And that's how family should be. It doesn't matter the differences there are. We still love unconditionally. We still welcome our families with open ar- arms. So today my sermon is actually called Welcome Home. I don't know if you guys have seen the giant sign outside that says Welcome Home. Um, but we've never actually preached on it. So today that's my sermon. So a few years ago uh, when I was in school, I had a friend from Germany whose name was Seppi. Um, his name was actually Sebastian, same as my name, but his nickname in Germany was Seppi. So um, Seppi was, was from Europe, and most Europeans can speak a bunch of different languages, which is pretty amazing. They can speak like five languages by the time they're like 10 years old. 
And so English wasn't his first language. And one thing I'll always remember about Seppi is we would be outside, we'd be sitting under these trees. We were in Australia, and it's like death heat in Australia, like plus 40. And Seppi would always say, man, I just want to go sit in the shadow. And I'd be like, Seppi, like, you need to learn some English here, buddy, because that is not shadow, that's shade, right? A tree makes shade. Yes, it's a shadow, but it's not a shadow, right? And the thing I realized is that shade is a shadow, but a shadow is not shade. I'll just let you think about that for a second. I know, right? It's confusing. And the word shadow comes off as a little, you know, ominous, kind of without feeling. But the word shade brings, you know, it brings feelings of like cool breeze, protecting you from the sun, all those nice things. I think it's the same with the word home. Home is not necessarily a house or a building, but rather a place where family gathers, where, those who accept, where there are those who accept you and love you for who you are. And I was thinking about the Bible, and I was thinking, in the Bible, what feels like home? Is it, you know, is it Israel that feels like home? Is it the temple that feels like home? Is it, what is it that feels like home? And I thought about all these things, and when it came down to it, I realized that the, the thing that feels like home in the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. See, Psalm 91, Psalm 99, or Psalm 99, Psalm 46, Psalm 71, Deuteronomy 33, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 16, they all talk about Jesus being the safe refuge, being a home for us. So let's turn to Luke 15, 1 to 2. Did anyone bring their Bible today? Come on, guys. Not one person? Okay, good job, Sherry. She brought her Bible. I'll take it. That's about 0.5%. Luke 15, 1 to 2. See, preachers used to have all this time that they could buy just by saying, like, turn to the Bible and, then, like, take a breath. But now everyone's just, like, waiting on you, and it's super awkward. So bring your Bible. <laughs> so Luke 15, 1 to 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees and religious leaders a few parables. And the first parable, many of us have heard, it's, it's a parable about a shepherd having a hundred sheep. One sheep goes to the mountains. He's like a hipster sheep. He just wants to get to the mountains on the weekend. And there's 99 that are still with the shepherd. And when the shepherd realizes that this one sheep is lost, he says, I'm going to leave my 99 sheep and go find this sheep. And so he leaves the 99, which, in my opinion, seems extremely irresponsible. You're just leaving 99 sheep to go get one sheep. Like, what, who's to say when you come back there's not going to be, like, zero sheep, you know? You have one sheep left. But he decides that it's worth it to go get this one sheep. So he goes to the mountains, he gets this sheep, and he finds the sheep, and he comes back. And he's so excited about finding the sheep that he throws a huge party for all of his friends. And I'm also thinking that, you know, he's a shepherd, so the, the, the menu item was probably sheep that night. So, like, he goes and rescues the sheep, and then he comes back and slaughters five sheep for the feast to celebrate that he got a sheep. Once again, doesn't really make se sense to me. But he was really excited about it. Now, the second parable that Jesus tells is the story of a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one. She proceeds to sweep her entire house and to seek diligently, um, which in my translation would be destroy the house to find it. 
the thing that was lost. Like, you know when you lose something and you're just like, okay, like, stay calm. I, I know that I put it somewhere. Um, so it's, I can just, I'll just go find it. So you're like, you know, you're, you're, you're gently like looking through like, oh yeah, it's probably here. It's probably here. And then you don't find it in the first five places and you're like, oh my goodness, where is this thing? And you just start like ripping your bed apart. You're like going in your drawers, throwing your drawers out. It's like a disaster goes through your, your house. And then like, and then you're like going to ask your family and you're like, hey mom, uh, have you seen my iPod? And she's like, where did you last leave it? If I knew where I last left it, I would go find it. I wouldn't be lost then, right? So you like freak out. And you're like, why would she say that to me? Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I know better than her. And then when the rage subsides, you actually think about where you last had it and you immediately go find it. Um, that's what always happened for me. So all that to say, this woman who lost this coin, uh, she's feeling like that. And she, she's looking everywhere for her coin and she finally finds her coin. And when she finds her coin, she once again decides to throw a party to celebrate finding this coin. Once again, I think the party might have cost her more than one coin, um, but she still throws this party because it was worth it to celebrate finding this one coin. And the third parable that Jesus tells is one that most of us are probably familiar with, and it's the, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. At youth last Tuesday, we actually watched uh, a modern-day dramatization of... Um, of the story of the prodigal son. And it got pretty heavy at some points. And for those of us who aren't familiar with, with the story, there's a father and there's two sons. And the younger son, um, and it's always the younger son who does this, he asks his father for his inheritance early. You know, like the youngest kid is always asking for stuff that the older siblings would never dare to ask from their parents. And then like the younger kid always gets it. It doesn't make sense. I'm the middle child, so I'm a little bitter. Um, and so the youngest child asks for his inheritance, and he says, he says, I want my inheritance, I want, I want out. And what he's pretty much saying to his father is that it would be better if you were dead so that I could have my inheritance and I wouldn't have to deal with you anymore. That's kind of how it got really heavy at youth. Um, so the father decides that he will give his son what he wants. He will give him the inheritance, and the son takes the inheritance, heads to Vegas, and spends the money on gambling, booze, and girls. And then right when the son runs out of money, the economy fails, there's no oil left, and there are no jobs. The, yeah, this is, this is the modern Sebastian translation. Um, and the only work available is to work on an organic pig farm. So this guy, the son goes to this organic pig farm, and he's looking at the food, and they're pretty much like serving these pigs five-course meals, because that's why organic meat is so expensive. Um, and he's looking at these meals, and he's like, man, I just want to eat like these pigs are eating, but they won't let him have any of the food. And finally, the son comes to his senses and says, you know, even my father's servants got to eat. Maybe I should just go back to my father, head back north, and just say sorry and ask to be his sermon, his servant, sorry. And so he, he jumps in his car or his Greyhound bus or whatever it is, and he starts heading north, and his father has uh, his son on his GPS tracker on Find Friends. So his father sees when his friend or when his son is in Red Deer, and so he starts heading down to Red Deer. And right when his son gets to Peter's drive-in, the father sees him and runs to him and says, "Son, I'm so happy you're back." And and the son and the Bible says, "But while the son, who is still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him." 
And his father goes on to to throw him a feast, and in my mind, he probably just ordered like one order of fries from Peter's Drive-In, and he could feel the entire party for a few days, um, because those fries are huge. And he throws another party, and little did he know um, that, that his son was coming home, right? He didn't know his son was coming home. So this is how Jesus answered the people who were questioning who Jesus was hanging out with. See, the Pharisees and religious leaders didn't like that someone from their own class, from their own family, from their own friend group, didn't follow the law the way that they did. They didn't like that Jesus was not just hanging out with all the same people in the synagogue, that he, didn't, that he wasn't going out and reaching, or that he was going out and reaching the disenfranchised and broken and the sinner. See, when I was, when I was growing up, when I'd read the Bible, I'd always wonder, like, where do these, like, Pharisees come from? Like, who are Pharisees? And Pharisees were Jews. They came from the same ancestry as Jesus. Their great, 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 great grandfather was Abraham, just like Jesus's. And they were even part of the same class as Jesus. They were they were trained in the religious law from a young age, just like Jesus was. And they were part of the same Jewish family. In fact, they believed, the Pharisees believed that they were fighting to keep their family together. Yet Jesus answers with those three parables. And there are similarities between all three parables. The first thing is that there was something that is lost. The second thing is that someone goes out and finds what has been lost. And the third is that there's a a huge party that's thrown at the end that seems ridiculous. It seems like they've spared no expense on these parties. So my question today is how do we as a church, how do we as Engaged City Church, live the welcome home that Jesus defines in the three parables? How do we seek those that are broken, weary, sinning, different, weird, unpopular, not trendy? How do we as a church family begin to grow the welcome home life? So I'm going to read Acts 2.44 again. That's what I read at the start. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So just to give a little background, it sounds like, you know, it's all the perfect circumstances to grow the early church. But the reality is this is when the church was being oppressed one of the greatest times in all of history. They were being rounded up. They were being slaughtered. They were being um, lit on fire. They were all kinds of stuff. The Romans were blaming all these, these catastrophes on the Christians, the early church. Yet it says that the church was growing. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The only way to live out, the, to truly live out the welcome home is by following the early church's twofold example. The first way that the church modeled welcome home was by growing in unity and strength by worshiping and praising together. It's easy to look at a Sunday morning service uh, as something that is just beneficial for me and my family. We all say it's where we go to get fed, it's where we go to reconnect with God, but is it also a place where we're growing as a family, where we're growing in unity as a church? Are we coming to church hoping we will get what we need while trying to stay as disconnected as possible from everyone else? Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. The church is the people. 
home is the people. When we say welcome home, we are saying we are coming to church to be with other people, to praise and worship God, and to grow in unity with others. Sunday mornings are a very important time to worship God, yes. Make him bigger than our lives, make him bigger than us, but it's also a time that we need to connect in relationship with other believers. I think many of us do that well here. We come to church, and we talk with our friends, and we do small groups, and, and it's great. We serve even, maybe. But if we're always just coming to church, and we're talking with the same people, and we're, we're in our comfort zone, and we're, being with the, we're doing the right things, you know, eventually it comes to a point where we might begin looking like the Pharisees. As soon as we get comfortable where we are, doing the right things and looking good, and being with the people who do the right things and look good, we have failed the mission of welcome home. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not to create a comfortable worship atmosphere that benefits only me. See, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have, ha- who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, Is it on the screen? Makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Man, iPads. When you accidentally scroll all the way to the bottom and lose your place. There we are. See, God wants us to become more like him every single day. He wants to keep, up, keep stretching us and growing us and changing us into his glorious image. Sometimes we come to church and we want to be made into our glorious image. We want to be better for ourselves but God wants us to make God wants to make us into his glorious image. See the story of the prodigal son doesn't end with the party. Luke 15:25. Get it up there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In the three parables, Jesus speaks only to the Pharisees about those that the Pharisees deemed unworthy. That's what what those, the lost sheep, and the lost coin, and the prodigal son, those are the things that the Pharisees deem unworthy. But here, in the last part of the parable, he speaks directly to the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees did all the things that were right. They looked good. They hung out with the right people. They followed the law. They did all these things externally. But inwardly, they were rejecting, they were rejecting God. The, the, the older son was inwardly rejecting the father, just as the younger son was externally rejecting the father. Yet even worse, the older son didn't even realize his pride. He was unwilling to forgive and unwilling to celebrate with his father and brother. At the end of the three parables, the only person 
who left miserable and without joy is the older brother. So the second way that the early church modeled welcome home was that they grew in goodwill with all people because they shared everything they had. And this is really the crux of what I'm trying to say today. See, my generation is always saying that we want community, right? You've probably heard that a million times. We're looking for community. And you can go on Instagram and find all sorts of different communities. In the summer, you can go to these cool parties and meet these cool people, and you're part of this community. But unfortunately, I think that is our idea of community. Or in other words, community is a place where we can call home. Uh, sorry. Unfortunately, I think that our idea of community, or in other words, a place that we could call home, has been distorted. When people say they are looking for community, what they really mean is that they're looking for a group of people with similar interests, hobbies, backgrounds. But the problem with expecting the church to be that sort of community is that those communities are built on interests, and the church is built on Jesus. But it's not just my generation that deals with this. This is all generations. We're all looking for people that are like us, people that will make us feel comfortable, people that will let us stay in our little boxes, and they can stay in their boxes, and we don't have to cross boxes. And the older generation, I think, has this, you know, my castle mentality, and, and, and it has created something in the younger generation that is looking for community, but they're really both looking for the same thing. They're looking for people that are going to support their lifestyle. They're not going to make things too complicated, but still be in relationship with each other. But how do we become a church that exemplifies welcome home? Home takes sacrifice. When I think about my family and the strength that my family's been to me, I could just say, oh yeah, like my family's great, you know, my parents are, are awesome, and my grandparents are great, and like my cousin's great, and you know, all my family's great, right? But it's it, it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen that we're a tight family. What happened is that our grandparents were intentional every single year, every single month, every single week about connecting with the family, about saying, hey, let's get together. Let's grow in unity. Let's, let's come together. And then my parents were intentional about communicating, uh, communicating. They were intentional about bringing us together as well. They were intentional about even if something happened in the family, it didn't matter. That was not going to tear us apart. See, the difference between friends and a family is that we know we're stuck with our family, so we fight for it that much harder. When I started dating my girlfriend, now fiance, I would go to her family gatherings, and it was super uncomfortable. Um, as soon as you go to someone else's family, it can be home to them, but for you, it can, it can pretty much be hell. Um, let's be honest. <laughs> but when you get there, it, it doesn't feel comfortable, right? Why is that? Why is it that home is, can be a place for someone, someone else, but it, not for you? It's the feeling that someone gives you when you're home. When I went to her family for the first time, they made me feel at home. It could have been a hellish experience. It could have been terrible. But they went out of their way to make me feel at home. Are we as a church, sorry, are we as are we a church that when someone comes in, they feel like they're intruding on someone else's family gathering? I'm going to say that again. Are we as a church, someone, when someone comes in, they feel like they're intruding on someone else's family gathering? Or are we a church that welcomes people home, that demonstrates what God did for us? While we were still sinners, he welcomed us. While we were still far off, he came 
to us and found us. See, we have a huge sign outside that says, Welcome Home. But as many of us know, when you're driving down the street, you see, you see these, like, coffee shops or these, like, um, like, Chinese food places or whatever. And it always says, best Chinese in town or best coffee in town or all of these bests, right? And we've just been programmed to be like, yeah, they think they're the best, but they're not actually the best. And sometimes you'll go in because the slogan will get you in marketing. You know, I'm a sucker for marketing. I've told you guys that before. And you'll go in because it says that it's the best at something. And then you try it and you're like, uh, was not the best. Definitely not the best. Are we a church that has a huge sign outside that says welcome home? But when people come in, they say, that's just a sign. That's not actually what they believe. I heard a quote this week from Craig Grishel, and he said, the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is equal to the pain you're willing to endure. I moved out of my parents' house about four years ago, and it was one of the greatest decisions of my life, honestly. It was, it was amazing. My parents are great, but uh, there's, a, there's a point where a man needs to leave the nest. And so I left my parents' home, and one of the weird things about my new home was that somehow the bathroom would get, like, so filthy. And at my parents' house, like, I think they must have had, like, some sort of, like, self-cleaning bathroom because I don't think I ever saw dust in the bathroom. I just thought bathrooms were always clean, except for public bathrooms, which are disgusting always. And so, you know, I'm thinking, like, why is my bathroom getting so dirty? And I realized it's not because my parents have some sort of special toilet that wipes itself down, although I have seen those. Um, but it was because my mom would go into the bathroom every single day and she'd wipe the bathroom down. She'd go in once a week, and she'd clean the bathroom. She'd clean the bathtub. She'd clean all of this stuff. And I took it for granted. I just thought it kind of happened. You know, I didn't think that after one week, you needed to clean up the bathroom, or even after one day. And so I moved out, and I realized that I had to take that upon myself. When I moved out, it was my responsibility. I had to take ownership. And when we live with someone else, um, or, we, or we drive a rental car or whatever, right? When you drive a rental car, you're like, sweet, this isn't my car. I can just, like, destroy this thing. I got the premium insurance with my credit card, so I'm going to do whatever I want to it. No one thinks that in here? Okay. You guys are all better people than me. Um, we don't take ownership of it, you know? We, we just say we can do whatever with this. And that's the same thing when we're, when we're living with our parents. That's the same thing when we, when we don't have something that's our own. But when we say, hey, this is mine, we start taking that ownership. I live with three roommates right now, and we had to come to a decision to make a chore board. Um, it was a painful decision, but it had to be done. And every week we have rotating chores that we're each responsible for. And if we don't all take ownership of the house, it's just gonna become a disaster. Maybe one person or two people in the house are gonna do all of the work, and they're gonna be frustrated, and everyone else is just gonna be like, yeah, the bathroom's self-cleaning. Yeah, the kitchen's self-cleaning. You know, we all, we all know what that's like. We all have to take ownership. I think it's the same way with the church. Are we taking ownership? Are we coming to church on a Sunday and saying, you know, the hallways are self-cleaning, or the people are self-greeting, or the bathrooms are self-cleaning, or the music is self-making? Do we think that, or are we taking ownership? So I say all that to say, 
Are we willing to get uncomfortable to make others feel comfortable? I'm going to say that again. Are we willing as a church, as individuals, each and every one of us, not just my generation, not just the older generation, every single person in here, are we willing to become uncomfortable to make other people feel comfortable? Speaking a message like this is not comfortable. I would love to be up here saying something happy, you know, making orange juice like we did last week. That's fun. Saying something like this is not comfortable. But are we willing to become uncomfortable to make other people feel comfortable? And when I say that, I don't just mean make people comfortable that have the same interests as you or make people feel comfortable who are from the same background as you or make people feel comfortable who you've talked to a few times. I'm talking about making people feel comfortable, everyone feel comfortable, everyone that Jesus died for, anyone and everyone. We don't want to become a church that just comes on a Sunday for some entertainment and some feel-good music. We want to be a place that is a safe refuge for those that are out there, lost, broken, and confused. So what is uncomfortable, what does being uncomfortable look like in practical terms? Because we all want practical terms. Being uncomfortable means saying hi to someone new who you've never met. It means welcoming someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't talk like you, who doesn't act like you. It means making someone feel like your home to them. What else does it look like? It means, it looks like serving. We did, we did a big push a few weeks ago for, for serving. We did, I said, we have sign me up cards in the seat back in front of you. And for three weeks I announced it in a row. I said, why don't we go home and pray about that? And on the third week when we did sign me up Sunday, how many cards did we have in the thing? We got one card which is great, I'm super stoked about the one card. <laughs> but I just wondered to myself, how many of us went home and prayed about that? How many of us feel like, are taking ownership? How many of us are saying, this is mine? This, this is not gonna self-clean. This is something that I want to do. I wanna be that sign outside. I want people to come in and say, that sign's not big enough because you are the most friendly, nicest person that I've ever met in my life. I want to be that person. And this isn't, I'm not just saying this is everyone out there. This is me too. This is, this is something that I have to do every single day. This is something that I don't like doing. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But I know that I have to do it because how are we going to reach those who don't know Jesus? How are people going to come in here if not only is it uncomfortable because they don't know what church is supposed to look like, but they don't even like the people? We want to be a church that people come in and they they have community and they have relationship and community not interests and hobbies and these things that are the same but have a connection with people we're all people from different stages of life we're all people from different areas we're all people who have different gifts and talents i don't know if if anyone here has done an escape room uh escape rooms are amazing so escape rooms are these things where you go and they're like a puzzle right it's like there's some math involved. I did one where like you have to smell these tubes and inside the tubes like one smelled like leather. Leather was leather is the, the hint, okay? If you do this one call, I'm not gonna ruin it for you. But if you do this one, leather is the smell that you're not gonna figure out. And so we, we did this thing and there was 10 of us who did this, this escape room. And an escape room teaches you to build as a team. It's, you know, someone might be good at smelling and someone might be good at math 
and someone might be good at rolling these giant cubes over and someone might be good at figuring out the rhythm. All of us had to do something different in order to complete this puzzle. And it works the same at the church. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ, that, that there are ears and there are mouths and there are noses and there are feet and there are hands. And, and should the mouth say that it doesn't want to be the mouth? Should, should the feet say, hey, I don't want to be the feet, I want to be the mouth? If you don't have feet, you can't get anywhere. You know, if you don't have ears, you can't hear anything. Every single part of the body is designed together to work in unity. And all of us as a church, we are a body. We all have different skills and talents that, that the other person doesn't have. Every person here has something that they can do better than I can do. And I have stuff that I can do better than Pastor Brett can do. And Christy has something better that she can do than Sher Sherry can do. You know, we all have different things that we're good at, that we have talents at. And that's why we all need to come together like a big family, like a big, you know, like a group. And, and you know, sometimes you hear, you hear a sermon like this and you say, perfect, I am an ear, so I'm just going to listen. Or perfect, I'm a mouth, so I'm just going to talk. But sometimes you need to do the thing that doesn't feel the best, that doesn't look the best. Everyone wants to be up here, well maybe not everyone, some of us want to be up here on the stage on a Sunday morning doing worship. That's, that's what like the number one sign up is for worship because it looks good. But I can tell you that I appreciate these guys. I appreciate Brendan who comes here every single week and serves and Matt and Christy. I love these guys because if it wasn't for them, I'd be hooped. Um, but there are so many areas in the church that that need us. And, and I'm not just talking about serving. I'm talking about talking to people. I'm talking about being home to people. And so I know this is it's not a comfortable message. It's not a nice message. But I don't want to become like a Pharisee. I don't want to be someone who I look back and I say, man, like I was just doing the right things. I was going through the motions. I was, you know, I was coming to church every Sunday morning and I was worshiping and I was comfortable and I was all of these things. I don't want to look back at my life and think that. I want to look back and say, man, I had a great conversation with that guy. Man, if I hadn't talked to that person, they might have never changed that thing in their life. Man, I was home to that person when they were feeling lost, broken. And we're only home through Jesus. We need to have a relationship with Jesus to be these things, but we also, just because we have a relationship with Jesus does not mean that it becomes comfortable for us. And so my challenge for us as a church is that we're willing to become uncomfortable to make other people feel comfortable until it feels comfortable. And then we repeat. We feel uncomfortable until, and so it makes other people feel comfortable until it's comfortable and then repeat. Uncomfortable to make people feel comfortable until it's comfortable. And I know that's a heavy challenge and maybe that doesn't need to be, you know, everyone take a sign-up card and sign up for something you hate doing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, let's talk to people that we don't know. Let's become home for people we don't know. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.